knowing that for the next three weeks I'll be preaching something that is related to Christmas, I really, I'm, I'm being honest when I say I really tried to persuade the Lord into not preaching what I'm going to preach this morning. Uh, I've got one point uh, in the message, and it's going to be toward the end of, of, uh, of what is on my heart today. Being the Christmas season, and uh, as David mentioned a while ago, everything is so beautiful, the decorations and uh, the songs, and the last thing you want to do is to think about uh, the problems that are in the world. But the fact of the matter is you can't, you can't not think about them to some extent because they have a way of just slapping us in the face whether it's something that we want to talk about or not. It's reality. A lot of folks right now, you know, is wondering what in the world is wrong with the world and uh, we could talk about that for a lot of, a lot of hours. And so last thing that uh, most of us want to here because it has discouraged and depressed so many people and uh, every day we're getting uh, we're, we're getting the bad news just dumped in our lap uh, from the media and then all of a sudden there's war in Israel someone said it was an act of terrorism uh, I'm not here to start a fight over denominations, but I'll just say anyone who thinks that Israel is guilty of terrorism is completely nuts to even think that. But a lot of people realize that that, that war in Israel almost overnight could start World War III I'd like to pretend like that couldn't ever happen and look at these young folks here and say, hey, you all got it made. You're not going to have anything to worry about. The worst is already behind us. It's going to be all good stuff from now on, but, uh, but that's not the case. I think the main reason that God laid this on my heart this morning is because there are many preachers and, and writers uh, whether you're looking on the internet or listening to some preacher or whatever, uh, all of a sudden, the very preachers that have never mentioned this before, all of a sudden they're urging all of us pastors that we need to preach more about Israel and Islam and prophecy, uh, that we, we need to get on that track and stay on that track and considering the situation at first glance, you think, well, that sounds reasonable. And I certainly agree that we ought to be well informed when it comes to prophecy. There are several good reasons for studying prophecy. And you can probably get on, uh, on the YouTube and find one of my old messages, an entire message about why study prophecy. There's very good reason for doing that. But the Bible tells us what's going to happen. It tells us it's going to get worse than what it is. And it's tempting to camp out on this subject because you know that there are a lot of folks that 
have interest in it. You know, they're, they're wondering, well, what is this all about? Why, why are we so concerned about Israel? Why are we praying for Israel? All legitimate questions. The problem is, if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves spending our time as students without ever getting to the part of being servants of the Lord. And that's, that's the point I want to drive home today. And before I get to the heart of the message, I want to mention a couple of things. Number one, our present problems, if you don't know what they are, uh, you're walking around with your eyes closed because it's obvious. And Paul told us all about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, this is what it's going to be like. And you read that and you look around and boy, he hit it spot on. Exactly what we see happening today. And then folks have the audacity to doubt whether or not the Word of God is really true or not. Well, it certainly fulfilled the prophecies that have been given. So we need to think about those present problems, but also the prophetic promises. Now, when these preachers get to saying, we need to get on that track and stay on that track and keep preaching about that, I agree that people need to be taught and people need to study prophecy. But what they're talking about, they should have been doing a year or two ago, 10 years ago. Uh, that's a subject that should have never been neglected in the first place. It's something that every church member ought to be aware of. And I realize as I say that, that there are some maybe younger folks or some folks that have uh, been in a church where they never heard anything about it. And a lot of folks are wondering, well, wh what are the prophetic pro uh, prophecies that, that God has given? So let me just run through a list real quick because putting it together in chronological order is difficult for some people. But uh, we talk about the Lord coming. We, we refer to that as the rapture. That's not the word that the Bible uses, but that's all right. It means a catching away. All of a sudden, all of God's people are going to disappear. Isn't it amazing when you read in the Bible? And then we wonder why some people have a difficult time in, you know, they're not saved, but they have a difficult time in really believing that that all of a sudden, all of the truly Christian people, the trumpet's going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we which are alive and remain going to be called up together to be with the Lord. That, that's what the Bible calls our blessed hope. And that's what we're waiting for. That's, that could happen any time. And then the tribulation begins. That's a seven-year period that's divided into two equal parts of three and a half years. And at the, at the tribulation time, the Antichrist is going to appear on the scene, and he's going to give an explanation as to where all these people went. Oh, I can explain that. I can answer all of your difficult questions, you know. And, and at the same time, he's going, to, he's going to institute a one world government, lay the plans for that. Which, by the way, is what the Pope says we ought to, ought to have even now. One world religion, one world government. He's going to make a peace covenant with Israel. A seven-year agreement. Seven years. 
Now, mind you, the tribulation period is seven years long. How did he come up with that number? We're going to make a peace agreement with Israel for seven years. Sounds like a good deal. We've been looking, you know, for somebody that's got all the answers that can finally bring peace to Israel. We've had all politicians promising to do that for years and years and years, and it still hasn't happened. But at the end of the three and a half years, he's going to break that agreement. And all of a sudden, he's going to set himself up in the temple as though he were God, as though he was the Messiah, that he's going to be the Savior. Create a one-world government. War breaks out. If you'll read Revelation chapter 6, there the great thing about Revelation is it, it gives us the script for all of the things that are going to happen prophetically. And it divides it up into four different parts. The reason some people get confused with Revelation is because they try to, to look at it as though it's in chronological order from beginning to end, and it's not that way at all. There are four different sections of Revelation devoted, devoted to prophecy. Four different sections. Just like we've got four Gospels, there's four different sections. The first one is found in Revelation chapter 6. It's as though we get a big picture of what's going to happen before we get to the next section, which goes into more detail. But there's still the time factor being the same. Revelation 6, it begins there with the saints, you know, going to be removed. In other words, you look back in chapter 4 and chapter 5, the saints are gone, and all of a sudden the Antichrist is on the scene. War breaks out. That leads to, that leads to, to inflation. It leads to uh, persecution. Get this, one-fourth of the population of the world is going to be killed. One-fourth. We're somewhere over 8 billion people in the world today. In addition to the war that's going to be going on, the wars, it's plural, I should say, there's going to be great earthquakes. Jesus described this as a time unlike anything in all of history. One-third of the sea and all of the creatures in the sea are going to be destroyed. There's going to be one-third less light extending darkness. Revelation chapter 9, he tells us there'll be demon-like creatures that are released to torment man. The man's going to seek death, but he won't be able to find it. God's going to force them to face the music in those days. 200 million demon spirits kill one-third of all of the people. And here's the Antichrist forcing people to worship him and receive the mark of the beast or they can't buy or sell. It'll be so bad that, that they will revert to eating the flesh of their own children. I'm not making all of this up. I'm telling you what the Bible says is going to happen. Rivers be turned to blood. There'll be the destruction of Babylon. That's the new world order. And then finally the battle of Armageddon. 
After that is the revelation of Christ at the rapture. He came in the clouds of the air and we're called up to be with Him. But at the revelation is when He comes back, not for His saints, but with His saints to rule and to reign upon this earth. And we'll reign with Him for a thousand years here upon this earth. So people talk about, you know, well, boy, I, I just think the world is going to be blown to oblivion just any moment. No, it's, it's, it's going to last at least 1,007 years. Because you've got the seven-year tribulation, the 1,000-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and after that, I wish I had time to go into some of the details of, of, of these events. But after that the new heaven and the new earth. Boy, I tell you, that's what we're looking forward to, isn't it? All of the present problems behind us, all of those prophetic promises of the bad things that Paul talked about, all of those things are going to be gone. And that brings us down to this, and that is our persistent, I said persistent, that doing it, now and always our priority is to not lock ourselves in a way in a safe house somewhere, not to dig a hole in the ground and try to, try to escape all of the calamity. It's not to become an obsess, uh, obsession with our study of, of prophecy. It's for us to be doing our duty as we watch and wait, we need to be working to bring others to Christ. I want you to turn in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 19. Some of you might remember, you wouldn't remember the messages, of course, but you might remember that about four years ago I preached three messages in a row from verse number 13. And uh, we're briefly going to look at some things about this parable. In fact, focus on one thing that was the theme of those three messages. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman, this is, a, this is one of the parables of the Lord, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Well, I surely don't have to explain to you what that represents. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. Now when you look at verse 11, you see what prompted this parable. Look at verse number 11. and It says, And as they heard these things, in verse 10 it said, The Son of Man come to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, and looking back, you see the story of Zacchaeus right before that. As they heard these things, and it says, he added and spake a parable. That's uh, the point. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. They misunderstood. They didn't realize 
that the Lord didn't come to set up his rule and reign at that time. They didn't understand that before, before that, he would offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross where his blood would be shed. They, they didn't understand that. Look at verse 12. And he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, if we're going to believe anything Jesus said, we have to believe everything he said, right? And his coming here was prophesied by the prophets. It was promised by the Lord, predicted by the angels, and preached by the, by the apostles. And yet, and if there's all of this confusion about, uh, about the kingdom and when the Lord's coming back. Certainly the early Christians believe he was coming back. There's no doubt about that. As they would meet one another in the street, they would say Maranatha, which means the Lord comes. They recognized that. They had no doubt about that. But there were those that had the idea, well, he's coming. There's those that thought, well, he's already coming. We missed the boat and all kinds of different ideas. Now, here's the point. When we look around and we see the condition that the world is in today and we see where it's headed and all the stuff is going to happen, it's easy to get discouraged and just throw up your hands in despair and wonder, oh, what is the use? We, you know, and some might even doubt, well, you know, I know the Bible said he was coming back, but you'd sure think he'd get here before now. It's so easy for us to lose our focus and that brings us to the text. And that's these words here in verse 13. He said, occupy. That literally means to carry on a business. And that business is our persistent priority. This is the one thing that we must continue to do regardless of what's going on in the world around us. Occupy, notice, till I come. Now, that's a command. It, it's come to us in the form of a parable, but it was a command. He, he didn't say, I'm going to suggest that this is what you do. This is a command. Isn't it amazing that, uh, that we put a lot of emphasis on certain commands in the Bible and then turn around and put no emphasis on other commands of the Bible? Well, I could just make a long list this morning of, of commands in the Bible that 90% of the Baptists today pay no attention to whatsoever. And then I can make another list of the things that, boy, we are locked in on. I mean, we, uh, oh boy, we would never compromise this. That's one of our Baptist standards. We got to stick by that, you know. We, but we, we ought to be true to every command that God has given and here, when we look at this, it's a command to what? To carry on the business that he's given to us. He's gone. He's not here literally, physically right now. Where's he going? Well, the nobleman, he said, went to get a kingdom and bring it. Now, I know the kingdom of God's within us right now, but there's going to be a literal kingdom here upon this earth. And Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from the throne of his father David there in Jerusalem. I mean, this, this is the real deal thing as to what is coming. And he's telling us until that time comes, we are to occupy. 
We are to be focused on the work at hand of the, what He has given us to do. And it's so easy for us to let the troubles and the trials of the world discourage us to where we, we no longer do that. Oh, maybe we used to, but now for whatever reason, you know, the, the world just in such bad shape. And we try to convince ourselves. We say, oh, other people are not going to listen to you today. The day we live in doesn't do any good to go out here and knock on doors. Doesn't do any good to hand out tracts. Doesn't do any good to talk to people. They don't want to hear about that. You're probably right there, except for the fact it's not based on whether or not they listen. It's based on what God has told us to do. If nobody listens, if they throw rocks at you, slam the door in your face, makes no difference. We have a responsibility to obey the command to occupy, to do business until the Lord comes. And by the way, there's a challenge to this. Notice he says, occupy till I come. That means that, that we're going to have to do it in a hostile environment. Now remember, keep in mind that he's giving this parable to those that were yet living, and some of them had no idea what lay ahead. They, 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 they didn't know anything about Titus and his army sweeping in in 70 A.D. and wiping things out. They didn't know that, but boy, they learned a lesson that, that later on they suffered Think about John out there on that Isle of Patmos and think about the, the pain and the suffering that those early Christians went through. And he says, occupy till I come. Until I come back. It doesn't make any difference what's going on, whether others are mocking your beliefs or when your efforts seem to be in vain or when, even when your lives are being threatened. What would it take to stop you from doing the will of God? What would it take to stop you from whatever aspect of your responsibility that you can think of? What would it take to stop you from doing that? But if you knew you was going to have to fight your way through a crowd out there, you know, that they were protesting against us like they do Israel, protesting against you Baptists because you're biased, I guess one Baptist church caved in because they had a, just this last week read about, they had a drag queen contest or, or concert, I think he called it. What sad days we're living in. How, how easily we get discouraged and we give up all because it's tough. Yes, listen, it's bad and it's going to get worse. But we still have the responsibility to fulfill the command, and there, that is a challenge to that. That's why Paul said, Be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. There's no time to stop, no place to give up, and yet our problems will try to discourage us, or pleasures will distract us, and some people will try to dissuade you. That, you know, that, why do you spend all your time going to that church? I mean, don't you have better things to do? Why do, why do you give your money to the church? There's better things to do with your money. Uh, people will discourage you. 
I mean, sometimes well-meaning people, because they don't know any better. They're, they're lost. They have no clue as to what life is really all about. Occupy till I come, and, and that is a challenge, and we need to face it because of the command. If you read the entire parable and you look all down through verse 17, verse 22, he speaks about the servant that was good and the, and the wicked servants in verse number 22. That tells us that how we respond to this command to do the things God has given us to do, all of those things, all of those that have received the command are going to be held accountable. It's going to be confirmed, in other words, whether, whether we end up living a life that is wicked or a life that is pleasing to God. The strange thing is, sometimes we think that, that in order to please God, that it's all about church attendance and, and, and giving and maybe reading the Bible some. But whenever you really delve into the subject, and especially you go over to John chapter number 14, it has to do with us rendering aid and serving others. William Barclay, who I wouldn't recommend his commentaries, but he was a great historian and had a lot of good things to say, even in the spiritual realm. But he said, God will judge us in accordance with our reaction to human need. His judgment does not depend on the knowledge we have amazed or the fame that we have acquired or the fortune that we have gained, but on the help that we have given. The help that we've given. I've often said I'm so proud of this church and those that are involved in different ministries, whether it's the music ministry or the decorating or the bringing of meals and helping out and we got I was thinking about Brother Melvin a while ago and Brenda and, and we got a lot of folks doing a lot of things that, that, that most people don't even know they're doing. Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken uh, some of you folks get here 6.30 and 7 uh, Sunday morning. Is that right? Why would you get here at six thirty or seven? Yeah. Out there fixing breakfast, not for themselves, fixing breakfast for others. You, you see, to be in business for the Lord, we're going to have to serve others. Isn't that what Jesus did? He went about doing good. And that's a part of our responsibility, but the main part of our responsibility. And I don't think we can divide these because we can't go around just blaring out the, the gospel message and then living like the rest of the world and expect people to believe us. We've got to practice what we preach and not only give the world the gospel, but we need to let the world know that we truly believe it by behaving according to God's Word. I, I love the article that I put in Morning Manor this morning about, Are You Jesus? Are You Jesus? I heard that, that same story 
close to 50 years ago, and it's still true today. An act of kindness sometimes can make others wonder just how real our Christianity is. Occupy, he says, till I come. And here's the thing about it. We've got a choice. A lot of the things that's going on, in fact, just about everything, look, we can't change this world. We can't control it. It's going to happen. You know, you can look at that list of, of all of the bad things that are going on in the world today. I just read yesterday that, that the rate of suicide in America is at an all-time high. That's amazing. In America, where we've got all of this stuff, where we can go and be entertained and watch football and eat all kinds of different food and have right in America. And yet there are people that are just so miserable in life that they don't even want to live. We can't change the world. That's not our job assignment. You know, we think about God save America. Oh, listen. Every true Christian wishes that, that America was what it once was. That would be great. But, but that's not going to happen. Those days are gone. And I, 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 I don't even like saying that. They're gone. This is not the same America that it was when I, I was born into this world. It's totally different. And we can't change it. We can't control it. There's one thing that we can do, and that is to make the choice to do that which is more important than anything else, and that is do our best to bring others to a saving knowledge of Christ while we can. Because we don't have forever. Notice he says, occupy till I come. This is an ongoing responsibility for us. And, and choices have consequences. Whatever you decide, there's going to be consequences. You can choose how you live, but you can't choose the consequences. You can ignore your Sunday school teacher. You can ignore mom and dad. You can, you can burn the Bible. Pretend like it doesn't exist and pretend like God doesn't care. You know, if there really is a God, you might think. You can choose to do all of those things, but you can't choose the consequences. Observe to do until he comes back. That means we have to stand firm whenever everybody else is standing against us. That we have to serve Him faithfully even whenever it seems like that it's not going to do any good. It means that we have to share the faith with others. It's wonderful, you know, to say, boy, I had perfect church attendance, Sunday school attendance last year. That's great. Or I tithe every week. Oh, that's great. A lot of folks don't do that. 
and that list can go on and on, but who have you told about Jesus? Have you talked to anyone about Jesus? Might be a member of your family. Might be a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate. Look, just look around. Look at the person right next to you. Look on your right, on your left. Turn around and look around. Just focus on someone. Every person you look at is dying. They are. They're going to die. And if they're not saved, they're going to spend eternity in a devil's hell. Chances are real good that you, in your contacts on your phone, or maybe you've got the old time file at home and your address book, and you go through there, you've got some friends and you've got your family, and I'll bet if you go through there and look at all of the names, it wouldn't take long before you'd run across the name of someone that by their own admission have never trusted Christ as their Savior. So the big question becomes then, are we just going to ignore that need in their life? How can we, how can we really say we believe in a wonderful heaven if we don't care whether somebody else goes there or not? How, how can we say that we believe in a literal hell if we refuse to talk to others about the gospel? Observe to do. That is to put into action. Observe to do. And that's what we've got to keep doing regardless of how bad that it's going. There could be bad stuff happening in the church. We've got a wonderful church. We're, we're not perfect. We never, know what, we never know what might happen. Don't ever get the idea that we couldn't have some kind of a big falling out and big problems. It can happen to any church, and thinking it can't happen puts us in a dangerous position because it can happen. And we need to remember, even whenever the church is at its worst, even when we are so disappointed and we are so discouraged, our responsibility is to observe to do until He comes. Amen. There shouldn't be anything deter us from that responsibility. And I trust this morning that, that as we enter into this holiday season of the year and we think about Christmas and the birth of Christ, it opens a door to a great opportunity for us to talk to someone about Jesus. Because for some people, Christmas, it's all, it's all about, you know, the family and the friends and getting together with good food and watching some football. That's, that's all it means to some people. I hope when you leave here today, you'll determine, I'm going to do my best tell somebody about Jesus to share with them the gospel that they might be saved go home and determine in your heart to bring bring someone with you to the Christmas program 
Believe me, that's not all about fun and games. It's always designed to send a message that meets the needs of those that are unsaved. Bring someone with you. I've often talked about our Lord's great concern, His great love for people. And, and the one way that I know that, that He was serious is because of that close-knit group of men that He had around Him that constituted the first church, the people that mattered most to Him. He sent them right into the teeth of danger. He even, he even told them. He didn't say, no, you might get hurt if you follow me. He told them that you're going to be hated, you're going to be despised, some of you are going to be killed. If you're going to follow me, you better mean business. And boy, to put people you love in harm's way shows how much you love those that, that are unsaved. And you might be here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior. You know, we could make church all about fun and games and just... But I'll guarantee you most of our people realize it's a whole lot more than fun and games. It's serious business. It's the Lord's business. And no one here today would be more excited about you receiving Christ as your Savior than the members of this church. One of the great fears people think when they're unsaved, the devil convinces them, well, if you, if you go forward, if you profess to be a Christian, what are others going to think? Well, it doesn't matter what they think. But in the first place, I can tell you what our church folks are going to think. They're going to think, glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. They'll be thrilled. Angels will even be singing about it. This could be your best Christmas ever by putting your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save you from your sins. Would you do that this morning? While we all stand, Brother David and the musicians are going to come. As we extend this invitation this morning, it might be that, that you're already saved, but something, something along the way has discouraged you from really being fully involved in serving God. And you want to come this morning and say, Lord, I'm so sorry I let something discourage me or something distract me, and I'd stop doing business, your business, like I should. And I want to get back in business for you today, Lord. I'm not going to neglect you any longer. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus, so thankful for the price He paid, so thankful that He didn't give up on us, but rather that He gave all for us. And how thankful we are to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that His shed blood is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, I pray that for those that are here today that have never been saved, they don't know they'd go to heaven if they died. May the Holy Spirit just prick their hearts and make them conscious of their needs and draw them, draw them to a saving knowledge of Christ. 
and help all of us, Lord, to leave here determined that, that we're going to observe to do our very best for you in the time that we have left. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While we sing.